They did wonderful things in those <laughs> days, and not all the stories are apocryphal. They're true. Uh, they, the craziest are true. They undressed Bill Stern once, you know that? Oh, story. yes, I was there. Bill Stern was one of the great sportscasters of all times, and he was at NBC, I think, at yeah. the time, and somebody went out and, to a studio tour, and they, while he's on the mic, they yes. removed his trousers. Oh, yes. Two guns. Now, there's nothing he can do. He is on the air. That was so Frank he, Reddick. Did. They're yes. pulling his trousers yeah. down, and he's saying, in the meantime, the score in the Browns. Right. They pulled his trousers off. Now they go out into the hall, and there's a studio tour, and say, by the way, you better drop by 8H. Stern's doing the sports. <laughs> and all these people walk by the window where he was sitting there in his shorts doing things. <laughs> Wonderful things like yes. that. Setting the script on fire was an old device, wasn't it? Too yes, long? and then we did, uh, we used to do a lot of shows in front of an audience, all dressed up in evening clothes. I never knew quite why. Uh, Give it a yes, dramatic yes, thing, flair, you know, the Philip Morris hour and things like that. And uh, we had a very dramatic director called... Charles Martin, who used to give very dramatic cues, and was he was, you know, the Toscanini of the radio so the audience directors. Would be aware he's and there. he'd see him in his dinner jacket doing all of this. I used to repeatedly pretend to drop my script and lose my pages before it came to my time in order to spoil his act. You see, because I'd drop all the pages, and we'd all be picking them up, saying, oh, that isn't it, must be this, and so on. Then while he was looking away, I'd get the real script out of my pocket, you see. That could be heart attack time. Yeah, heart attack time. But he gave us a rough time during rehearsals, so we felt he had it coming to us. But it was very funny sponsors in those days. Over and over again, radio actors would be barred forever, not allowed ever again to work on a show because it was a camel show and they opened up a package of Chesterfields or something. That's how seriously they took it at that, yes. at that time. Just the package in your hand, blackballed forever. There's in radio, a medium where nobody could see anything. I remember once when I was in radio in the Midwest, the favorite device there was for the, because we didn't have a news editing staff or anything, we would just, you know, pull it off the teletype and the AP or UP would come in on the yellow sheets of paper and the radio announcer, Ed knows this, would tear it off and you go into the news and you read what the stories are. They would type in, they would get a, a sheet and in the middle of the news they would type in some horrendous, obscene story <laughs> that you didn't know the end of it until yeah. you were about halfway through and then of course your eyes would drop down and you'd say in um, oh. Cedar Rapids, Iowa today, Mr. William Scranton went into the barn and all of a sudden you'd see what's coming <laughs> and you'd say, we'll be back to that story in a moment, but first and you'd... <laughs> terrible things like oh, that, yes. but you would be halfway through the story before you realized you'd been handed. With a Colgate Sports Newsreel. Bill Stern, the Colgate Shakery Man, is on the air. Bill Stern, the Colgate Shakery Man, with stories there. Take his advice and you'll look keen. You'll get a shave that's smooth and clean. You'll be a Colgate brushless fan. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Bill Stern bringing another Colgate Sports Newsreel. Our guest tonight is the lovely Hollywood movie star, Miss Constance Bennett. But first, real one. Portrait of a failure. This is the story of a boy who wanted to be a great athlete. His name was Charles Zimmy. Ever since he could remember, little Charles Zimmy had loved sports. As the years passed, Charles Zimmy tried one sport after another, but he failed at all of them until one day he took up wrestling, and he was pretty good at that, too. Only he wasn't quite good enough. Charles realized he'd never make a great wrestler, and so he gave this sport up. But he was all the more determined to someday find some sport in which he could make a great name for himself. One day, Charles Zimmy tried sailing. He'd always liked the water, and if there was one thing he thought he could do, it was to sail a boat. Charles was no better in this than he was in other sports. In fact, one day in a sailboat race, his boat tipped over, and Charles had a swim to shore. But that gave Charles an idea. Why not try the sport of swimming? 
liked to swim, and what's more, he was pretty good at it. And so it was that Charles Zimmy dropped all other sports, decided to concentrate on becoming a great swimmer. As the years passed by, Charles swam more and more often. He was determined that before he was too old, he'd at least set one American swimming record. People kidded Charles about his ambition. They laughed at him behind his back. But one day, strange as it seems, Charles Zimmy publicly announced that he was going to swim the whole length of the Hudson River, starting at Albany and ending at New York City. People couldn't believe that he really meant to try it. Not only was this a distance of 147 miles, a distance far greater than anyone had ever dreamed of swimming, but the Hudson River was a rough, vicious river in which to swim any distance at all. It was incredible. How could Charles Zimmy, a man almost 40 years old, do what no one else had even dared try to do? Nevertheless, on August the 25th, 1937, true to his word, Charles Zimmy entered the Hudson River at Albany, New York, to begin his endurance swim. He started poorly. The water was very cold. Ahead of him lay 147 miles of the treacherous river. Thousands lined the riverbanks to see him try, and they were amazed at his stamina. At the end of five hours, he'd gone six miles. Charles Zimmy swam on. He passed the 20-mile mark, then the 25-mile mark, then the 50. Charles Zimmy had now been in the water 54 hours. People weren't laughing at him anymore. They were wondering how long he could keep it up. At the end of 80 hours, Charles Zimmy had reached the 75-mile mark. Now he was over halfway. The water was getting rougher all the time. As Charles passed the 100-mile mark, he almost fainted from sheer exhaustion. But he kept on and on. They'd laughed at him, had they? All right, well, he'd show them. The cruel pounding of the water was taking a terrible toll, but somehow he did keep going. Now he'd reached the 130-mile mark. There was only 17 more miles to go. Each stroke was sheer torture, but Charles gritted his teeth and vowed he'd make it. And make it he did. After being in the water five full days, Charles Zimmy had succeeded in swimming the entire 147 miles down the Hudson River from Albany to New York City to set an all-time American swimming record. And that's the story. Oh, yeah. There's one thing I forgot to tell you. Charles Zimmy, the man who swam that 147 miles, is a cripple. You see, Charles Zimmy has no legs. Bill Stern's Colgate Newsreel first took to the air on December 5, 1937, over NBC's Blue Network. Born on July 1, 1907, Stern began in vaudeville, and by 1931, he was the assistant stage manager at the Roxy Theater, and later Radio City in New York. In 1934, he got the role of broadcaster for NBC's Friday Night Fights. Stern became one of the most famous sportscasters in the country. Four years later, he partnered with MGM for their News of the Day reel. Stern's career flourished despite a 1935 car accident, which injured him severely enough that his left leg had to be amputated just above the knee. By March 17, 1944, his Colgate program was running over NBC on Fridays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern. Constance Bennett was the guest on this broadcast. Real two. You just heard the story of a great endurance swimming champion. Now let me tell you about another kind of swimming champion, a speed swimmer. His name is Buster Crabb, and he's the sensational Olympic swimming champion who held 16 world championships and 35 national titles. 
Many times Buster Crab shaved seconds off his own swimming records and at shaving, too. Buster's a speed demon and a champ, with some help, of course. You're right, Bill. Buster Crab credits Colgate Brushless Shave Cream for his championship shave. He says, thanks to Colgate Brushless, I've now perfected my shaving style, and I'm sure I set up an unofficial shaving record every morning. Why, I just spread on Colgate Brushless straight from the jar, go over once lightly with my razor, and I'm on the last lap. Then I dunk my face in razor, and I'm under the tape for the fastest, smoothest, easiest, most comfortable shave I've ever had. Signed, Buster Crab. Now, that's what I call testing on the old home ground, because, men, you've got to try Colgate Brushless on your own face before you'll know what a real championship shave is like. You see, Colgate Brushless Shave Cream's a cinch for you men with tough whiskers and naturally dry, sensitive skin. This light, fluffy cream stays moist and active, keeps your whiskers soft and shavable, so your razor can cut them off quick, clean, and close with no after-irritation. Now, those are real dividends for men who want the utmost in shaving speed and comfort. So here's my offer. You try Colgate Brushless Shave Cream, then if you don't agree it gives you the best shave you ever had, send the top of the carton to me, Bill Stern, Kara Colgate, Jersey City, Zone 2, New Jersey, for double your money back. Now, could anything be fairer than that? Then get yourself a big victory jar of Colgate Brushless Shave Cream and get it tonight. Reel three. Colgate's camera close-up of Constance Bennett. Here is one of Hollywood's brightest stars, the lovely and talented Miss Constance Bennett. You all know what a great movie star Constance Bennett is. But do you also know that she's an expert bowler, an expert swimmer, an expert tennis player? Am I? But why, certainly you are, Connie. I happen to know that you were captain of your school basketball team, and you used to own a racing stable, and you reached the semifinals in the Hollywood tennis tournament, and... Look, Bill, may I say something? Why, certainly, Connie. Go right ahead. Well, supposing we take your statements one by one. I was captain of my school basketball team, only um, we didn't win any games. As for my racing stable, it consisted of exactly one horse. And as for my reaching the semifinals in the Hollywood tennis tournament, you forgot to mention that my partner was the great Ellsworth Vines. But, Bill, I am about to try something that I don't think any woman has tried before. Well, what's that, Connie? I'm going to produce and star in my own movies for PRC Pictures. Well, that will make you the first woman who's both the producer and star of her own pictures. And you already have a flourishing cosmetic business, Connie. Aren't you ever satisfied? Well, I might be satisfied if after I make my first picture it's a hit. Well, what's your first picture going to be about? Well, we haven't decided definitely yet, Bill. But I'm looking for a new leading man. Well, Connie, why didn't you say so sooner? Now, I don't like to talk about myself, but making pictures right up my alley. Why, only in the last year I've been in such pictures as the pride of the Yankees. We've never been licked and staged our canteen, just to mention a few. Well, that's fine, Bill. But my leading man must be um, dramatic, romantic... And ecstatic. Aha, that lets me out, Connie, because I'm only on the beam when I scream about Colgate shave cream. All of which goes to show, I know I'd better go. Thank you, that's right. Good luck and good night, Constance Bennett. Good night, Bill. And to you boys who've just returned from overseas in Halloran Hospital, good night and God bless you. Ah, uh, thanks. Good night, Connie. Good night, Bill. Real four. Profile of a song. Today is St. Patrick's Day, hence it's particularly appropriate that we now tell the story, for this is a St. Patrick's Day story. Our story begins shortly after the turn of the century, when two brothers named John and Michael Shea enrolled at Notre Dame University. They were as Irish as their Irish names. As soon as John and Michael Shea entered Notre Dame, they were immediately impressed with the fighting spirit of the Notre Dame football team. True, neither John nor Michael Shea was a football player, for both were studying music. But even musicians can be ardent football fans, and these brothers were. This was the year 1903. 
was the very first year a Notre Dame football team had ever gone through a whole season without losing a single game. Well, that called for a celebration. But when it came time to celebrate, both John and Michael Shea were amazed to find that Notre Dame had no victory song to celebrate with. Being musicians, they immediately set out to remedy this. That night, the two brothers wrote a song. Into this song, they poured out their love for Notre Dame, their pride in their unbeaten football team. They call their song the Notre Dame Fighting Irish Victory March. At first, it was only sung out on the college campus at South Bend. But soon, it began to be sung by Irishmen all over the country, and it spread like wildfire. That year, it became the most popular Irish song in all America. People everywhere were singing. Cheer, cheer for old Notre Dame. Wake up the echoes cheering her name. While her loyal sons are marching onward to victory. That song reached such great heights of popularity that people who'd never even heard of Notre Dame went around humming its strains. And Irishmen everywhere sang it the loudest. For after all, wasn't it the song of a fighting Irish? In fact, this song became so popular that a famous New York theatrical producer named Chauncey Alcott, who was then about to present an Irish musical play, decided to use this very song as the finale in his play. Since the play was to be all about St. Patrick's Day, Chauncey Alcott thought that surely this popular song of the Irish would be most appropriate. And Chauncey Alcott's show was a big success, too. However, the morning after the play opened, the dramatic critics found one fault. The New York Times said, Chauncey Alcott's new Irish musical play, which opened last night, had one serious mistake. Mr. Alcott uses the currently popular Notre Dame Fighting Irish Victory song for his finale. Granted that the song has become an Irish favorite, it is still a college marching song and not a love song such as this play needs. Chauncey Alcott read the New York Times Dramatic Critics Review and realized that that very critic was right. After all, his play was a love story about St. Patrick's Day, and it did need a love song, not a college marching song. But where could he find such a love song? That night in desperation, Chauncey Alcott decided to try and write such a song himself. First, the melody came to him. Now, now if he could only find words to go with that tune. Finally had it all down on paper. It was an Irish love song, just what his play needed. That night, Chauncey Alcott took the Notre Dame Fighting Irish Victory March out of his Broadway show and replaced it with his new Irish love song that he'd just written. The song was an immediate success. It became one of the greatest Irish love songs ever written. For you see, this Irish love song that Chauncey Alcott had just written was My Wild Irish Rose. My Wild Irish Rose The dearest flower that grows And so... Because the Notre Dame football song didn't fit into a St. Patrick's Day number of a Broadway show, My Wild Irish Rose was written. But that's not the end of the story. You see, Chauncey Alcott, who wrote My Wild Irish Rose, for a St. Patrick's Day number, died some years later on St. Patrick's Day. Profile of a love song that was written to replace Notre Dame's football favorite. Real Five, Charles McCartney. Calling all lather shavers. Cream, a lather shave of chance. Lather cream works into countless more to soften up the toughest whiskers, right and speedy shave the first time over without snagging or pulling. Remember, two out of three barbers you ask, can you do better than follow the expert's choice? Use Colgate Rapid Shave Cream, the shave cream of champions. 
And now, back to Bill Stern. Real six. Colgate's Candid Camera catches the story behind the story. Exclusive New York City, New York. American prisoners of war just returned from Germany reveal that Germany's huge sports stadium where the 1936 Olympics were held is now being used as a concentration camp for American prisoners. But, but it is camouflaged to look like an ammunition dump so that American planes will be fooled into bombing American prisoners. And that's the 3-0 mark for tonight. Next Friday night, we'll be back same time, same stations with another Colgate Sports Newsreel. Our guest next Friday evening will be the Lone Ranger. So be sure and be with us at our usual time next Friday night when we present in person as our guest one of the most famous stars in radio, the Lone Ranger. And until then, I'll be seeing you on the screen in the News of the Day Newsreel at your favorite Lowe's or Associated Theaters. And now, until next Friday night at the same time, this is Bill Stern wishing you all a good, good night. Bill Stern, the Colgate Shave Cream Man, is on his way. Bill Stern, the Colgate Shave Cream Man, had lost to say. He told you tales of sports heroes, the inside dope he really knows. So listen in next Friday night. C-O-L-G-A-T-E. May I have your attention, Mr. and Mrs. America? Have you seen any of them yet? I mean the young fellows back from the wars, the ones without a leg, an eye, or an arm. Thanks to sulfur drugs, they and many others have been saved from days and weeks of pain, even loss of their lives. You can help provide these wonder drugs simply by saving your used kitchen fats. So pour every drop of used kitchen fat into a tin container, not glass. Take it to your butcher, and he'll give you four cents a pound, plus two meat ration points free. The used kitchen fat you save and sell can help save a life. Thank you. Miss Constance Bennett appeared on this program courtesy of PRC Pictures. This is the National Broadcasting Company. After nearly 16 years with NBC, Stern switched to ABC for three final seasons. While at ABC, Stern was a regular panelist on the game show, The Name's the Same. 